tonight. The book of Micah, I'll give you a few seconds to find it. What I would do if I were you as we go through these minor prophets here, I'd just put your little thing there and mark it each week so you're ready for the next one. The book of Micah tonight. We looked at Jonah last week, and the book of Jonah, I still am thinking about some of the things in Jonah, and I just, the Lord, I love that the Lord works in spite of who we are. It's not a wonderful thing, and uh, it's a wonderful thing to me, and so hopefully it is for you as well. Micah tonight, and uh, if anyone didn't get an outline, they're in the foyer there. There's two pages there, and all of that, and so seven chapters, seven great chapters, and it's a minor prophet, not because what it has to say is minor, it's because of the length of the book, and that's what you've got to remember. Several centuries before the birth of Christ, we see that this, this is one of those prophecies about Jesus coming. We'll look at that here in a few minutes tonight about Bethlehem. What a blessing that is. And uh, if I had to summarize, as we go through the book of Micah tonight, if I had to summarize it with one thought, it would be that God is at work in times of hardship and in times of rejoicing. God is constantly at work. And I think that I think the past couple weeks, as we've looked at these minor prophets the past few weeks, I think that they have given us a lot of great things for where we live today. And God's still working today. It might seem like there's a lot of issues going on in our world, and there are. Don't get me wrong tonight. But God is still at work, and praise God for that. And we have hope in Him tonight, and what a blessing that is. And as we look at the book of Micah tonight, Micah spoke of God's temporary plan for Israel but also about his ultimate design for his people. Sometimes his working in our lives looks like reprimanding and retribution, and sometimes it looks like redemption and rejoicing. And we see all of those things before us in the book of Micah tonight. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive in. Father in heaven, we're so grateful for your love for us. Thank you for being God. Thank you for this book that we can study tonight and see these things and see you working. And Father, thank you for working. I know it must get pretty tiresome working with us, but I'm so glad that you do. And I'm glad that you love us, and I'm thankful for who you are, and that in spite of who we are, you love us, and that your love's not based on what we do for you, but your love's based on who you are. Thank you for that. Bless the time that we have tonight in this passage. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We think about Israel at this time, and Micah wrote in a day that's not too unlike our own around us. He's prophesying around the same time as Isaiah. And Micah found the nation of Israel in deep trouble with God, as God's people had fallen into deep moral depths. Society was dissolving, and misery was ensuing, and this was the time that Micah prophesied. I'll go through the who, what, the when, the where, the why, and then give you a brief outline We'll be done tonight with the book of Micah. We say who? It's Micah. And you can see in verse number 1, it talks about, And the word of the Lord came unto Micah, the Morishite, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. We see here, Micah is who wrote this book. It was the 8th century B.C. It was a contemporary of Isaiah. Some have called the book of Micah a miniature Isaiah as they hit on the same themes, and they both have prophecies about Christ in the future. And we'll look at those in a few minutes. Where? Where did he live? In Judah, in the southern kingdom. 
He prophesied against both, mainly the capital cities. For the northern kingdom, you had Samaria was the capital, and then for Judah, it was Jerusalem. And so he prophesied about both of those cities. And so the center of the corruption. And this book is basically divided into three messages. And if you want to look at what the messages would be, look at chapter 1, verse number 2. Hear all, all ye people, hearken, O God, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. And then you go down to chapter 3, verse number 1. You see the second message begins. And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes, and the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? And then chapter 6, verse number 1. Chapter 6, verse number 1. Hear ye now what the Lord saith, Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. And we see here, we see that three times, kind of a little division there. Maybe later on we'll go a little deeper into that. What was the point? Why was Micah prophesying in this day? What was, he, what was the goal? His, he was proclaiming judgment for the past sins of Israel as well as he was prophesying about the future glory. And he pleads with the people for repentance and he preaches about God's great mercy and his character all rolled into seven chapters. The last three verses of Micah, if you go to the last chapter, chapter 7, the last three verses are a beautiful 12-line poem in Hebrew. And these verses are so important to the Jews that every year when they celebrate their, most holy, their high holy day, the Day of Atonement, they read the book of Jonah, and when they're done, they read these three verses. So look at chapter 7, verse number 18. Who is like, who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth sin, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again, he will have compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob, and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Man, the book of Micah, he preaches extremely hard about the national sins, but he closes the book with a reminder about the mercy of God and his love, his forgiveness, his redemption, his compassion, and about who God truly is. What a wonderful God we serve. And I love, even in the midst of the Old Testament, one of these minor prophets as we read through here, that God is hard on sin, but God is merciful and gracious. And aren't you grateful for the mercy of God tonight? I sure hope you would be. And God has been so good to us. Corey Tinboom said this, When we confess our sins, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And even though I cannot find a scripture for it, I believe God then places a sign out there that says, No fishing allowed. And uh, I like that. And yes, there is no verse that says there is no there is no verse that says that, but we do see how he casts our sins into the depths of the ocean. Aren't you glad that he chooses to forget our sin? What a blessing that is. And the fact that he does that when we've done so much to him, he's just a merciful God. 
And this book's divided into three sections, and I want to give those to you, and we'll be done tonight. Number one, we see Micah's expose, his expose. He said, what are you talking about? Well, go back to chapter number one, Micah 1, and look at verse number two. Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep place. For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel, what is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? Therefore will I make Samaria as a heap of the field and as plantings of the vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the fountains thereof. And all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with fire, and all the idols thereof will, be, will I lay desolate, for she gathereth it of the, of the hire of an harlot, and they shall return to the hire of an harlot. Go to chapter 2. Verse number one, woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hands. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks. Neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. He's preaching against the sin. They had, and they, I'm glad they listened to what was said here. We see there's preaching against the people's sin. There's also preaching against the leadership. Look at chapter 3, verse number 1. And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? Look at verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that made my people err, that bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he that putteth not, out his, that he that putteth not into their mouths, they even prepare war against him. Go down to verse number 9. Hear this, I pray you, ye heads of the house of Jacob and the princes of the house of Israel that abhor judgment and pervert all equity. They build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. The heads thereof reward for, or judge for reward, and the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. Yet will they lean upon the Lord and say, Is not the Lord among us? None evil can come upon us. Therefore shall Zion for your sakes be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountain of the houses is the high places of the forest. And we see not only does Micah preach against the people's sin, they preaches against the leadership, the government authorities, the spiritual authorities. He's going after all of them. And then we see number two tonight, in chapter four and five, we see the expectation of the Messiah. And after Micah goes through and pronounces doom, Micah predicts the restoration of Israel, both in the first and in the second coming of Christ. 
And in these chapters, chapters 4 and chapters number 5, he predicts the birth of Christ as well as the return of Christ in the last days. Look at chapter 4, verse number 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow in, into it. it. talks about the second coming of Christ. Go to chapter number 5 of Micah. Go to chapter number 5. Look at verse number 2. But thou Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. It's talking about the birth of Christ. Now hold your place here in Micah 5, because we're going to go back and be in chapter 6 as we get towards the end tonight. But go with me to Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew chapter number 1. It's not that far from here. Matthew chapter number 1. Matthew 1. And then when you get to chapter 1, go to chapter number 2. And when you get to chapter number 2, look down at verse number 5. It says, And they said unto him, Now look at, look at verse number 4 there. It says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So Herod, we know, wants to know where Christ can be born. The scribes, the priests, they, what do they pull out? The book of Micah. Look at the next verse, verse 5. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus is written by the prophet, the prophet Micah, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come forth a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Isn't it amazing that Micah prophesied this 700 years before Christ came? Think about that. 700 years years he prophesied that Christ would be born in Bethlehem think about all the number of world events that God had to orchestrate to fulfill this prophecy it just so happens that Caesar Augustus decides to hold a census of the Roman Empire at just the right time forcing a carpenter of Nazareth named Joseph to pack up his pregnant bride Mary and return to his hometown of Bethlehem at the exact time when Mary would give birth. Just an amazing thing, 700 years, and it comes true. Don't ever, when you look at the Bible and you see the Bible for what it is, don't ever look, lose sight of how amazing it is. Yeah, so Micah said that. And it came, do you realize how amazing that is? That a prophecy could be made in 700 years. Go back 700 years. So the year 1320. That's a long time ago. world was a lot different place 700 years ago. Man, that, you think about back then. They didn't have cars. They didn't have electricity. And uh, John Wycliffe lived not too far from that time. It's a long time ago. And imagine some guy making a prophecy 700 years ago. The coronavirus is going hit to hit America in 2020. Watch out. You think, that guy is crazy. How's he going to know 700 years? But that's what happened. Micah said, there's going to be a baby born in Bethlehem. 700, and guess what? It happened. 
how beautiful and how wonderful it is to see the scriptures. And all throughout the Old Testament, God gave his people exact details of what to look for in their Messiah. Even the scribes knew the scriptures. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And yet they still missed the fact that he came. Number three and lastly tonight, we see the master's exaltation. The master's exaltation. Go back with me to the book of Micah and go to chapter number six. We see God talks about the judgment on their sin. We see him talk about the future and how Christ would come and about Christ's second coming. But now we see as we get to the end here tonight, we go to Micah chapter number 6 and look at verse number 2. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee, testifying against me? For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and have redeemed thee out of the house of servants, and I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Galilee, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come unto him with burnt offerings? With calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with, ten, with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And we see Micah then asks four questions to get them to think about how they viewed God and how the people could return to God. And tonight, get in on this. What am I going to say here? There's a lot of distractions in the room tonight, and I, it's all over the room. Let's focus in for a couple minutes, okay? And we're going to get here. We need this right now, okay? We don't, we don't come to church so that you can sit here and get nothing, because we might as well just be at home and not break the governor's order if that's what we're trying to do. We come into church to get something out of it, and so just stick with me for a couple minutes right here, okay? And so Micah asked them four questions to get them to think about how they viewed God and then how they should return to God. You look at verse number 6 and verse number 7, these are the questions he asks. He asks them to think about how they view God. Hey, is it about my external posture, my actions? Verse 6, the beginning of verse 6. The end of verse 6 is about giving God the best of my goods. The third question is about the quality or the, the quantity of my good deeds? And is it about sacrificing my own child? Now that's an interesting statement right there. You notice something that God forbid human sacrifice, right? We realize that the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31, but it was commonplace for the heathen and for the pagans to appease their gods by offering their children. A human sacrifice. And such a sacrifice was supposed to show total commitment. And what we see here is Micah's asking the people those four questions and then answers with a beautiful summary. You see, no, you don't have to have some outward show of worship. 
No, you don't have to try to give as much as you can. You don't have to earn God's love with thousands of animals. You don't have to sacrifice your child. This is what God wants from you. Look at verse number 8. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? That's what God wanted. No, he didn't need all the he didn't need all their sacrifices. He didn't need all these different things, all their animals. He didn't need to have, as we read there at the end of verse number seven, he didn't need a sacrifice of their children. No, he has shown the old man what is good. What does God want from his people? What does he require them to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? That's what God wanted from his people. That was the way for the children of Israel to return to God and to get back to where they needed to be. That's what it comes down to. To do justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. Do you know you can basically sum that up in two things. Love the Lord thy God with everything you have. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with thy God. Israel, you've gotten away from God. You haven't been where you should be. Hey, government officials, prophets, you've been doing things you shouldn't be. There's a lot of sin and God's going to judge it. But hey, people, there's hope. Because someday there's going to come a man out of Israel. Jesus, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then he's going to come again a second time, and he's going to raise the power. But in the meantime, get back to God. Get back to him. Stay close to him. And how, how are the people supposed to do it? It's not about the outward show of worship. It's not trying to give them as much as you can or to earn God's love with those thousands of animals. You don't have to sacrifice your kids. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He has shown the old man what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. I think if the Lord was pleased with Israel when they did that, I think God would be pleased if his children today would do those things. To do justly. To do good. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with thy God. That's what we need today. Maybe you've gotten away from God. Maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe some things going on in your life. Hey Christian, you know what you need to do today? He has shown the old man what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. When judgment comes, God is at work in his people's lives. When they can't see it hundreds of years before, God is at work preparing for the Messiah to come. Even today, in the midst of a pandemic in 2020, God is at work in the affairs of men, and he will take all things and work them together for good. Sometimes his work brings us through seasons of hardship. Sometimes through seasons of rejoicing. 
but in the midst of it all, he is at work. Yes, our God exposes sin, but he also gives his people a hope and a path to redemption, an expectation of good. Exalt him in your times of trial. Yes, God wants sin dealt with, but he also wants his people restored. If you're struggling in a season of hardship, remind yourself what the Lord requires. He has shown the old man what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Then take your Bibles to that last chapter, chapter number 7. And after you remind yourself what the Lord requires... Then read the last three verses of Micah and remind yourself of the God that you serve. As we close, before we watch the video tonight, I want you to read those verses with me. Micah 7, verse 18 through 20. We'll read them together. We'll start verse number 18. Here we go. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? There was like two people reading it. I'll give you another second. Some of you closed your Bibles up and you thought that I was done. I was listening to see if you were reading it. I, I, heard, I think I heard Caroline's voice. I'm glad that she was reading that a little bit. Was that you? I think that was you. Or was, or was it Alyssa? Oh, it was mom? Oh, you didn't do it. Okay, good. So we'll give everyone one more chance. So when we're struggling in seasons of hardship, remind yourself what the Lord requires to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. And then read the last three verses of Micah and remind yourself of the Lord or the God that you serve. Let's read those together. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham, which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. Man, I love that. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. I'm so glad we serve a God that delights in mercy. Because if some of us were God, we would probably delight in anger. Right, Lori? Yeah, probably. We would delight in anger, but he delights in mercy, and praise God for that. And so, as you go through seasons of hardship, just remember, he's shown the old man what is good. What doth the Lord require of thee? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. Love the Lord thy God, love thy neighbor as thyself. And then remember who God is in those last three verses. Let's go ahead and watch the video, and we'll have a word of prayer. We'll be on our way home.